listening to the Testudo Times Podcast, the official podcast of SB Nation's Maryland Terrapins Colossus. And welcome to episode 25 of the Testudo Times Podcast. I don't really have a funny intro for this one, although we've done 25 podcasts. I'm surprised we're still uh, working through it. How long has it been since April? Jeez, it's going crazy. Dave Tucker, I'm amazed we've been able to do 25 podcasts and not been stopped by anybody up higher up at the site, including you. Yeah, well, I'm doing a pretty good job, so. Good. I get to keep my job through the yeah, holiday season. Time, so don't get, I don't get to get fired over Christmas. That sounds like a lot of fun. And uh, Matt Allen Tuck, dealing with finals, but he's gutting it out tonight to record a show. How are you, my friend? Oh, uh, this is a lot more fun. I'll take this Everything is more fun than finals. Yeah, Everything more Jeez, dealing with your family during the holiday season is more fun than finals. Hint, hint. Anyway, there's a lot of Maryland stuff to get to. We last did a show nine days ago with Sean Dentilly of the Sporting News. Hopefully you enjoyed that. And again, pardon Alex and I's indulgence. We had maybe a little bit too much fun with that show. Not like we're supposed to not have fun on this show, but stuff happens with that. There's some news that we need to get to, Dave. First of all, with football, Maryland's made a lot of hires recently, the most notable of which Mike London, Scott Schaefer, the Alabama guy whose name I can't pronounce and don't really want to butcher. There's been some interesting hires, and it shows you the direction that DJ Durkin wants to go in with the coaching staff, and it's a very positive one. Yeah, I mean, I think he's made some fantastic hires so far. Um, the most important, arguably, is um, who he's going to hire at offensive coordinator, and we're all still kind of waiting to see who that's going to be. I think arguably that's going to be his most important hire because he's a um, defensive background coach and a lot of the guys that he's brought on board so far have a defensive background as well. So um, Maryland talked about wanting to have a wide open offense and um, that offensive coordinator hire is going to be important to ensure that they can do that. Before we talk about that offensive coordinator, I want to get to some of the guys they have hired. Uh, first of all, hiring Scott Schaefer as defensive coordinator was met with a little alarm because Syracuse's defense wasn't all that good, and Syracuse wasn't all that good under Scott Schaefer. Their best season, I think they finished 7-6, and six, which isn't really that encouraging. Uh, but as a defensive coordinator, as a defensive guy, he had certainly done enough to move up the coaching ranks at Syracuse in his jobs before that. How do you think he'll uh, do as a defensive coordinator? Do you think he'll be a defensive coordinator in name only because of Durkin? What do you, how do you think that's going to work out i think that um he hopefully can have more talent here than he's had in some of his past stops um there seems to be pretty high praise for him from other coaches um around the college football ranks which is always encouraging um i mean that is kind of like a fraternity so a lot of times coaches are always going to speak highly of other coaches but um, just looking at some of the rankings that his past defenses have had, there's nothing that really jumps out at you. But then again, you have to take into account how much talent is he working with with a particular system. Um, so, and when you also factor in the fact that you know DJ Durkin's background is defense and he did have very good defenses where he's been, especially last year with Michigan, um, you would think that. Between the two of them, they should still have a really good defense. But at the same time, they're going to need probably some time to get the right personnel in there. Um, Maryland did a really good job this year with their 
defensive line switching over to the 4-3 from the 3-4, and I think they'll want to continue with that moving forward, but they're going to need to get more um, help and talent in the secondary um, in addition to just having Will Likely back there. That is a huge area of concern. Also hiring Mike London was very interesting. A local guy got fired from Virginia for recruiting reasons. That's a very good hire. And it, Mike London... He did a really good job uh, getting a lot of talent uh, to Virginia. And we're, we're talking, you know, five-star type talent. Um, I think he got three or four five-star guys to go to Virginia. And um, he just wasn't able to really pull it together there as a head coach. So I think being in a role like this in an area where he can still recruit the Tidewater area, which he had a lot of success in, is really important for Maryland. It gives them a stronghold in Virginia and um, also locally as well, depending on what happens with Mike Loxley, which is still something that's up in the air that no one has an answer to. I want to talk about that. We saw a picture with DJ Durkin, Mike Loxley, and a recruit whose name I'm forgetting. Forgive me for that. What do we make of that? Because when we saw that, everybody was stunned. The news it looked like Loxley was done. He was on the outs. That's what everybody had started to report. And then we see a picture with Loxley and Durkin, and everybody goes, wait a second, what? Yeah, that's um, – it was a little surprising. What's, what's been surprising to me is that there's still been kind of radio silence about that ever since that happened. So um, Loxley was clearly out there with Durkin doing this visit, which seems to indicate that Either they're in some sort of negotiation to keep him on board or he's being a you know, guy and continuing to work until they make a decision. Um, but the fact that you see this picture and you still haven't had any kind of announcement come out is what's really just a little puzzling. Um, you would think that means that they're trying to do something to keep Loxley on board and in the interim he's still doing whatever he has been doing. But then at the same time, if he's doing that, then you would think they would have made some sort of announcement now, especially since they announced the other hires and made those official. There's still a lot of opening slots on the staff, but keeping around Mike Loxley, even if it's in a ceremonial role, even though some people had told me that he wouldn't accept a ceremonial role because of his pride, that would be a huge boost to recruiting in this area, keeping Loxley around when we all thought he didn't have a chance for sticking here. So... Yeah, yeah, I think it'd be an interesting development. It it would be. um, And I think that's been, you know, something that a lot of people have talked about ever since Durkin was hired because Durkin having that defensive background, the thinking was that he would have to bring someone else in at offensive coordinator and that person would not be Mike Loxley. And the question was whether Loxley could stay on board in a non-offensive coordinator position and continue um, his recruiting, um, strong recruiting in the area, or whether he would want to go somewhere else because he couldn't have that offensive coordinator role anymore. It is very interesting. So let's talk about this offensive coordinator search uh, before we get to basketball, because Matt Allentuck has been quiet because he said, admitted to me that he doesn't know all that much about what's going on in the world of Maryland football. So I'm Too leaving him. I know, I know. I'm leaving you to it. You can study while we're uh, while Dave and I are chatting, but mm. be, be wary for the next couple of seconds. So, Dave, 
what could we be looking at as an offense coordinator? You surmised to me before the podcast that the radio silence could mean they're interested in somebody that's still coaching, which means we might have to wait a while before we hear any news on the offensive coordinator front. Yeah, I mean, I think it's certainly interesting that, you know, there has been nothing um, that's really come out about the offensive coordinator position. Um, when Durkin was hired, um, he was asked, I think, um, by our own Alex Kirshner, I can't remember if it was him or someone else, um, what his plans were for hiring a staff. And he was very um, articulate that he was going to be deliberate in hiring his staff. And we've certainly seen that, especially for the offensive coordinator position. Um, he's made four official hires that we know about so far. But again, the offensive coordinator position, which is arguably the most important hire for Durkin in his um, immediate beginning of his tenure here at Maryland, is something we don't know about so far. So who that's going to be, who that ultimately ends up being, you know, is it someone that's still coaching right now and doesn't want to make a move until after their bowl game? I mean, that's something to consider, but it's, it's going to be interesting to see who he hires. Do you have any names? I mean, we saw Lane Kiffin. I don't know how much, how many legs there are to that story. He's still coaching. How funny would it be if Lane Kiffin came to Maryland? It would certainly be funny. I don't know. I think that would say something about Lane Kiffin if he's leaving Alabama to come. It would say out. something a lot more about Lane Kiffin than it does yes. about Nick Saban, for the record. Yes, I, I just, I mean, that was just this rumor that was floated out there. I don't know, By you know, really, if there's any kind of seriousness. Yet. If there's any kind of seriousness to it whatsoever, that, um, that tweet was deleted. So we all, all who are, of us who saw it, know what we're talking about. But anyway, uh, Rutgers hired a 28-year-old from Houston who was under uh, Tom Herman, so as are their offensive coordinator. So just for the record, to see what other Big Ten teams are doing, uh, when do you think we see the hire? I think we see it sometime just after the bowl season's over. I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying it's after the playoff, but just after the bowl season, like January 4th, 5th, something, and that vicinity is that when you think we could see something yeah to me what's really interesting about this hire not coming down earlier is that we're going into this recruiting um dark period now and you would have thought that they would have had wanted to have a coordinator in place beforehand so they could get in contact with recruits especially people like Dwayne Hashkins and let him know what kind of offense they were planning on running so they could either re-secure his commitment to Maryland or see if they had to move on to someone else. And, you know, that, that hasn't happened. So now we're in this period where we're going to have to wait before they can be out there talking to recruits again. So there are a number of potential candidates. We've looked at several of them. Um, some of them that have jumped out, uh, Tim Beck, who's Ohio state's co-offensive coordinator is, one of them, um, he's been the subject of some speculation since uh, it kind of became clear that um, Durkin would be Maryland's new head coach there. Um, there's some other people, um, Jed Fish, who's Michigan's co Please no, please no. I have experience with Jed Fish. Please no. <laughs> just just going to get that out of the way now. Um that's pathological fear from Jacksonville Jaguars fandom and when he was awful. Please, can we not go there? I don't want to have to deal with him again. Sorry, well, you can continue. Um, like we said a few minutes ago, you know, 
is Mike Loxley still someone that's in consideration for being the offensive coordinator? Could Maryland seems like it. have co-offensive? I mean, something I've thought is, you know, maybe Maryland's going to try to have a co-offensive coordinator. We've seen that at several high-profile programs recently where you've had two offensive coordinators. So in that particular instance, um, maybe Mike Loxley keeps that coordinator title and is focused really on recruiting. And then you have a second coordinator who is actually running the offense on game day. So, you know, maybe that's another wrinkle in this puzzle as to why we're still seeing Mike Loxley around on the recruiting trail, but we haven't seen another person hired yet because they're trying to work out having two people in this particular role. That is the first time I heard that brought up, and it's a very good suggestion. It's not something I had thought of yet, and I think now, looking at the way the picture is starting to clear up, that could easily be possible. Hey, Matt Allen, Tuck, you still there? I'm here. I'm alive. Good. We're going to talk about basketball now, so I want your full undivided attention. Well, I want to, before we talk about the future of this the team coming up in the, the near future, at least, I want to go back to the UConn game, which we haven't really talked about on this podcast all that much. The first half of that game was so much fun. Not because Maryland was just boat racing a team like UConn, but because two players were just spectacular. Melo Trimble, obviously, but Diamond Stone in particular, Matt. So talk about that performance. I know it was nine days ago already, but Diamond Stone in that game, was that the best we've seen of him thus far? Uh, Yeah, I'd say that that was definitely a breakout performance for Diamond. And his shooting numbers are going to look a little lower than what they actually were. I mean, he missed a few around the rim. I think he wound up going like something like 6 for 16 from the field uh, with a bunch of rebounds because he, he collected them. He was really a beast on the boards uh, for most of the first half. He was very impressive. It's something that we really haven't seen from Diamond, and I don't really think anyone was really expecting it, uh, especially with the game being at Madison Square Garden and him coming off the bench again. And uh, It was definitely unexpected, but uh, overall, Maryland's been very weird in their big games, right? The two biggest games that they've played so far are probably the North Carolina one and and UConn, and they blew. Well, Georgetown, too, when Stone Georgetown had a too. couple Georgetown of few too. moments and then we never heard from him again. Absolutely. But uh, Georgetown aside, uh, the most recent big two games, Maryland's really showed up in the second half of, of the North Carolina game and really showed up in the first half of the UConn game and looked like real national title contenders. And then in the opposite halves have been less than good. Uh, Maryland tried hard to, to blow the big lead in the second half. Uh, defensive lapses really killed them in the beginning. Um, Diamond did not play as good of a second half as he did the first half, and Maryland relied on Melo Trimble a lot again, which is uh, a little bit of reverting to last season. So uh, they, they've been imbalanced, the best way to put it. It's not a bad formula to rely on Melo Trimble when he can shoot everybody out of the gym, and it's also not bad to have Kevin Ollie losing his mind and getting a technical foul. That's pretty cool, too, I have yeah, to say. The most interesting. Uh, wh- wh- why did Maryland lose their edge in the second half? Was it adjustments from UConn, or did they just get flaky? Uh, defense was really sketchy. Interior defense was definitely uh, erratic. Uh, rotations uh, weren't being met. Uh, Daniel Hamilton went off in the second half. He didn't seem to have a hand on his face anywhere around the perimeter. Uh, it was definitely a tale, of, a tale of two halves, but I think it's funny you mentioned the Kevin Ollie uh, ordeal where Ollie uh, threw papers, was called for a technical, and we were waiting for him post-game, and uh, Kevin Ollie really seemed to blow off the situation. It was very interesting. He took a very long time to come out and talk to the media afterwards, which we thought may have, may have had to do something with uh, you know maybe talking to his teammates about what had happened because it seemed to be a real momentum changer 
uh, as UConn was making a real comeback, and then Ollie was called for the tech and put Trimble, you know, on the line for another free throw. And, and uh, he really didn't seem to think it had much of an effect on the game, which is something that uh, a lot of the media was very surprised to hear. That was weird because it did clearly have an effect on the game. UConn's momentum kind of stopped at his yep. tracks. And then against UMES, Maryland's interior defense was a bit shaky again, too. We have somebody, uh, Doug Newton, somebody new to the site, wrote about it. Uh, defense still a bit of a problem even in that game. Dominique Elliott, I was calling that game, and he was really, really good on the offensive end. He had 20 points. Uh, is the interior defense something we should start to be concerned about, Matt? It's surprising because most Turgeon-led teams, the defense is the good part and the offense is the part that you know varies uh, game by game. But uh, I don't think we've seen the best of DeMonte Dodd yet. He's been put in the starting lineup, but uh, his minutes have been limited. Uh, Tchaikovsky has been great in some games, bad in others. And, and Diamond, we, we knew that coming in that Diamond wasn't great defensively, but he's been okay. I think uh, once, they get, once uh, Turgeon gets some sort of rhythm going in his... Uh, DeMonte Dodd, Michael Tchaikovsky lineups where he goes two bigs. I think the team will be in good shape. I think the, the biggest worry has to probably be the offensive drop-off from the bigs. Uh, the guards have really carried the offense in the past two games. Suleiman and Trimble have been having great. Uh, they both had uh, career numbers and assists recently. Uh, and Trimble uh, was Big Ten Player of the Week this past week. And he's been averaging something like 21, 22 points a game over that stretch. But... Uh, it's been a drop-off in, in point scoring for the bigs. Only two or three guys have been in double digits, and most of them being guards in the past two games. Robert Carter hasn't really been as involved as, as he's been. Jake Lehman still see, uh, still hasn't really uh, you know found his rhythm. Uh, this Terrapins team still has work to do, but has to sit pretty confidently going into the final two non-conference games, which should be gimmies against Princeton and Marshall, and they sit number six in the country. Well, let's be honest, four of their next five are absolute gimmies because Penn State and Rutgers could honestly be the equivalent of Mount St. Mary's and UMES. I wanted, I wanted to be a little nicer to the Big Ten. But. Uh, Rutgers is going to be double-digit underdogs at home to Monmouth. I don't care how cool their bench is. You're double-digit underdogs hey, at Mon home to a Mon team. Monmouth just from beat Georgetown. Yeah, Monmouth so. just beat Georgetown by 15. It, it's okay, It's okay, but it's still double-digit underdogs at home to a team like that that you're supposed to beat when the schedule comes out. Whatever. Monmouth is a fun team, Mike. Yeah, oh, uh, I love Monmouth. My father-in-law went there, and it's right by their house. They've got a, a neat little gym on there campus and they're they're a very good basketball team this year they have they have beat some big teams so far they beat, they beat ucla UCLA. they yep. beat usc USA. now they've beaten georgetown didn't they beat notre dame too they beat notre dame too yep yes they did they're, they're fun but i want to see them boat race rutgers out of the gym which would be very entertaining but back to maryland dave uh, the big man problem or quandary i guess it's not really a problem it's having too many guys, I guess, that do similar things. How do you think we uh, end up seeing this resolving? Because DeMonte Dodd's starting, getting a couple of minutes, and Diamond Stone plays the most minutes and ends up getting the majority of the points. Michael Tchaikovsky played decently against UMES. Do you think that the fact that they're now playing only two games over the next 15 days is going to help them kind of work that out? I think, you know, they're still trying to learn how to play together. And and how those guys play is also going to depend on how the the guards and the other offense are setting things up for them. Um, I I think I think for for Diamond it's you know maybe good that he's coming off the bench and getting up to speed and and doing better. I I'm not comparing them in terms of their exact skill sets, but I'm just reminded of chris wilcox the national championship year wilcox was a sophomore not a freshman but he started off um not starting and then 
about midway through the year, um, took over a spot in the starting lineup and really shined um, for the second half of the season. And I'm wondering if we're going to see a similar thing from Diamond and um, and then have Dodd and Chico coming off the bench and supplementing him. I also think, you know, it, it's certain matchups that, you know, certain certain ones of these three players are going to shine better in, in certain situations. And I think Turgeon's trying to find out, you know, the best time to have each of them in there. And, and they've demonstrated different skill sets at, at different times throughout the season so far. And I think as that becomes refined, we'll see more defined roles for those guys. I I'm, a fan, I'm a fan of the dot lineup too. No, something I was, something I thought about uh, even before the season started is everyone kind of knows that diamond and DeMonte are pretty well polar opposites. And I was talking to DeMonte uh, during media day and he pretty much said it's great that they go in at practice, Diamond being one of the best offensive centers and DeMonte being one of the best defensive centers. And I think it just makes more sense in Maryland's lineup uh, how they have it now. Uh, you know, After Dion Wiley went down, that, that brought the scoring off the bench down. Rashid steps in, another great offensive player. But if you look at the rest of Maryland's bench, the only guy that's really going to be putting up consistent scoring numbers is Jared Nickens. And I think Maryland is, is at its best when it can bring Diamond off the bench uh, pair him with Nickens and maybe give some other guys a rest uh, so they have two other offensive options when they decide to flip lineups. It doesn't really seem to make sense to overload the starting lineup with scorers, especially when we've seen now that Melo is back to being normal Melo and can put points you know, as needed. So maybe when Melo does step off the court, have Diamond and Jared in there to carry the offense at some point, it just it seems to make more sense in my mind. That's a really good point. I never yeah. actually thought of it that way. And I think when you also consider just what – Robert Carter is able to do with the ball, especially inside the paint. I mean, that jump hook that he has is just incredible. And, you know, maybe not having another offensive uh, front court player in there, like you're saying, um, Matt, it is a good idea. And having Stone come in for Carter or come in for Dodd and, and just having these different types of lineups in there and getting those other guys a, a breather. I want to talk about Jake Lehman now, uh, if you don't mind, because the Lehman question is interesting. He is, I think, averaging double figures, which is expected. But for most Maryland fans, he's not producing in the way that we've expected him to produce. Now, the guy I was calling the game with on Saturday reminded me that he's not expected to do as much because Maryland has other guys in front of him to score. You know, Suleiman and Robert Carter, and you have Diamond Stone and Jared Dickens off the bench. So Jake Lehman's role has changed, but... We still know he's a great shooter, and he hasn't really hit his stride yet. And when he does, don't you think Maryland's going to be pretty dang hard to beat if Jake Lehman starts shooting the way we know he can? As Maryland's doing all of this now with Jake Lehman getting eight, nine points a game and not particularly shooting that well. We'll start with Dave on this. No, yeah, I mean, I, I think so. I mean, Lehman hasn't played, I think, up to his potential so far this season. Um, I think it's interesting, though, when you – look at some of his numbers, they're not too drastically different from what they were in um, past years. Just looking at his overall field goal percentage, I mean, right now, so far this season, he's shooting 46% from the field, whereas last year he shot 47%. I mean, the biggest drop really for him is from uh, beyond the arc. He's only shooting 33.3% there right now. Last year he thought shot... um, 37.8%. So, I mean, I think if he can start getting some more threes to fall, he's getting fantastic open looks. They're, they're really doing a great job of 
um, setting screens and, and getting him open on the outside to get these great looks. And I think once he starts knocking those down, uh, it'll be really beneficial to him, but it'll be really beneficial to Maryland's offense and will open it up even a little bit more than it already has been. Is he taking fewer shots than he did last season? Just, I mean, out of the numbers, it seems like he's taking fewer shots just watching the games, but I don't know that for sure. Do the numbers back that up if you're at the stats page is open for you right now? Yeah, it's a slight uh, drop-off, but it's nothing drastic. Okay. Yeah, it's nothing, signi- I mean, super significant. Um, but, I mean, the other thing Jake is tried to do I think lately is um, find his players who are open if he's not having a good shooting night he's getting the ball in other people's hands and I think that's important too and um, you know his I I think it'll come for him he'll be fine and and when it does like you said um, it's going to give Maryland another um, another aspect another uh, bright, bright spot in their offensive scoring ability Maryland fans, Maryland fans are real tough on Jake Lehman, and it's something that I, I probably won't, won't ever understand. I really do. Oh, it's gone on before you came to school or before you really were, well, you know, it, it had a voice seem, like you do now. It doesn't seem to make any sense to me. I mean, Jake Lehman isn't just an offensive player. He's actually a pretty good defensive player, and it's a, it's a big deal to have, first of all, I don't know how many other teams in the country can say that they start a 6'9 small forward. There have been a handful of nights where Maryland's had Jake Lehman taller than the opposing centers which is just big in itself the two games i've called maryland the tallest guy for Ryder and umes were like six eight and jake layman yeah, there you nine, go and the thing is, an idea. and jake and jake doesn't waste that height either and he has incredible length which is when uh when turgeon throws him at the top of the zone that's where he's just you know at his best and he's able to cause a lot of turnovers there and he plays pretty good defense one-on-one like yeah he is a little bit thinner, uh, and when you know when he gets back into the post, that's a problem. But now that he plays more of a small forward, he doesn't have that, you know, have that happening as often. And offensively, before these past two games, Melo Trimble wasn't exactly shooting the ball so well, and no one seemed to be too hard on him. I guess because it's not Jake Lehman, it's Melo Trimble. But a quick, you know, Melo went for for four the other night, and his three point percentage jumped like six or seven percent just because of the small amount of shots that were taken so far if Jake Lehman has one or two of those nights his numbers are going to skyrocket and Jake has he's had great looks I mean I, I've looked at his shot just because I was curious if he's changed anything since last year the only thing I can notice a little bit is that his feet are pointing uh, more outwards which may may you know my, uh, may not have been intentional but uh something that maybe he can correct uh but either way once he gets shots falling I think people are going to be like wow Jake Lehman is finally that senior, you know, that we've been talking about, even though I think he's undercover been really good all year. And uh, the mock drafts have him, you know, late first round, early second round. I mean, NBA scouts are all over this guy. He's going to be a big deal in another year. Do you think that it's because on offense that Maryland has all these other options? Now they have Robert Carter. They have Rashid Suleiman. It's a little bit different than last year where he doesn't have as much focus on the offensive end as, say, in past years where he had to take a lot more shots. And he was Maryland's, well, second or third option in past years, to be honest. It's more, it's more comfortable for him. I don't think Jake Lehman was ever meant to be a team's leading scorer. And now that he can back off and have these, you know, six, seven, eight-point nights and Maryland can still win, it's, it's more relaxing for him. And he can do better on the defensive end. And he's been rebounding pretty well all year. I think that without, it, you know, take Jake Lehman out of a few of these games, and I don't know how, you know, how close Maryland keeps it. I think he's been really, really important. 
Yeah, I'll he's, say that he, on the defensive end, he's definitely improved. I've seen that noticeably uh, in this last year. He was it wasn't quite a defensive liability in the past couple of years, but he's noticeably better this year, Dave. You know what? The box score doesn't really back him up either. But uh, just reviewing like game film, you can just see plays where his presence makes a huge difference, and he's just one of those guys you'd have to just you know look back on. He might not you know his numbers aren't clearing, but when you look back, you're like, oh, good thing Jake was on the floor at that time. I'll say this. When Maryland came out against UMES in the second half and was pressing, Dick Lehman's length obviously helped there. And when Maryland's gone to, say, the 1-3-1 zone, you were right about that. At the top of the zone, he's been really effective. Dave, you had something to say? Yeah, when you look at Jake's true shooting percentage, which is one of Ken Palm's um, Uh Oh, Ken Palm. Watch the comments. I know. Um, When you look at that, he's actually fourth on the team in that. So that, that looks at, like, their efficiency field goal percentage and also takes into account free throws and jake has been really good from the line so far this year he's shooting like 82 percent i think but anyway he's he's fourth on the team behind mellow trimble robert carter and rashid suleiman i mean those are three great players and i think like matt was saying a few minutes ago you know people i think i don't know if they're just expecting jake to to do more i mean i think he struggled a little bit from beyond the arc so far this season, but Maryland has so many scoring options this year that, you know, he sometimes gets overshadowed. And I think people are expecting him to do more when a lot of times he doesn't need to do more on the offensive side of the ball this year. I tend to agree with that. So let's look at the next couple of games. It's Princeton on Saturday and Baltimore, which is pretty cool for longtime Maryland fans. They haven't played in Baltimore. I think it's like 17 years I think the last time they did was actually an ACC Big Ten challenge against Iowa, funny enough, if my uh, memory is correct. Then they have eight days off for the holidays and then Marshall, and then they get into Big Ten play when they play Penn State at Northwestern and Rutgers. No offense to Penn State and Rutgers, but they're both pretty terrible. Northwestern on the road could be tricky, but boring Maryland falling off a cliff. They should only have one loss when they go into Wisconsin on January the 9th. So in these next five games, which Maryland will be favored in by double digits in all of them, uh, what should we expect to see? What do you want to see in terms of improvement from the team as they get into, well, eventually get into the meat of their Big Ten schedule? I'll start with Matt this time. I think Jalen Brantley is really, you know, that X-factor piece that's going to, his development is going to mean the most. Mark Turgeon talked after the North Carolina game, after, uh, you know, he weighed heavy on Trimble and Suleiman, saying that he needed to get another guard involved and put confidence in another guard and unless he's talking about Varun Ram he's talking about Jalen Brantley and I think it's pretty strange I wanted to talk about Varun Ram that would be fun it would be fun but I think Brantley Brantley's more the piece he's looking at and Brantley only only logged I think six or seven minutes in both of the past two games so it's been pretty weird uh to not see him on the court as much I'm not sure what the deal with that is Jalen Brantley obviously you know hasn't done anything spectacular but I don't think he's done anything awful either if he can just be a filler piece, he doesn't. He can really go on the court and be an absolute neutral, and be a huge positive for Maryland in the long run. Because these stretches where, where Melo is going is going out and scoring, you know, 25 points like the last game and getting to the line for 15 free throws. Oh, that's the UConn game. Sorry, uh, that that's going to take a toll on him as the season goes on. And when games start, you know, it becomes two or three games in a week. And, uh, you know, Maryland Mello doesn't have the luxury of, of two games in 15 days. So the development of Jalen Brandley is going to be absolutely key. If he can just play somewhere in the realm of 10 minutes where he just doesn't turn the turn the ball over and just gets 
the offense rolling, you know, maybe not necessarily him scoring, but just getting the ball into the Diamond Stones and Robert Carters who are able to create their own shot, that's going to be huge. And I, I think on that point, especially the physicality of the games in the Big Ten are going to take their toll. And in these kind of games and in that situation, you see what Deion Wiley would have done for this team and how much better it would have made him. Dave, what are you looking forward to in these next five should-be winnable games for the Terps? Well, I think, I mean, Matt made a great point about Brantley. I mean, he's he's averaged less than um, 10 minutes a game in three of Maryland's last four games. So the most minutes he's played is... 14 minutes against St. Francis against UNC. He only logged one minute. UConn was six and Maryland Eastern shore who, you know, you would have thought Maryland would have won by a larger margin than what they did. He was still only in there for seven minutes for that game. So I think that seems too small to me. Yeah. I, I think he's going to need to, to do more. And like Matt said, be out on the court more, especially because Maryland doesn't have, um, Dion Wiley, you know, this season, you know, he's he's going to need to be a more important factor for this team moving forward. Um, the other thing I think over the next few games is something that you touched on earlier, Matt, which was just how is Maryland's uh, front court going to continue to shape out? Um, you know, some of these games should be games where Diamond Stone can get some more experience, get some more confidence. Uh, perhaps you can see Demonte Dodd. And um, Michael Chikovsky getting more minutes. Um, I think I, I've been impressed by some of the offensive production I've seen from Chikovsky so far this year. He's got some uh, improvement um, around the basket, I think, from a scoring perspective that you've seen at times so far this season. I'd like to see him further utilize that because I don't think there are many uh, teams in the country that can have a seven-foot guy coming off your bench and potentially being your second front court player coming off the bench with that much size and that much ability. So seeing what happens there, um, I think is going to be an interesting thing as Maryland gets into the meat of their Big Ten schedule. Uh, quickly, Matt, how much do you want to see guys like Melo Trimble and Rashid Suleiman play? Let's say Maryland has beaten Princeton by 27 with like five to go in the second half. Like, or even though they should be beating these teams by quite a lot anyway, even though they don't usually blow teams out, even the bad ones. How much do you want to see them play? Because they came in when it was like 15, the, the, the margin against Maryland Eastern Shore. Suleiman and Trimble came back in, and I was kind of surprised. I'm like, I thought they were done for the game. Yeah, I, I guess the margin. I guess the margin game. I guess the margin was a bit too small for Turgeon's liking. Do you want to see them get more of a rest in these kind of games? Because let's be honest, if they give them like a 25 minutes, 26 minutes, they should be able to really be comfortable and have enough of a margin where they don't need to bring them back in later on in the game. Yeah, blowouts are going to be crucial in the games that should be blowouts because. You know, obviously we've touched upon Dion Wiley's injury and what that means. And it's really important that guys like Trimble and Suleiman don't overexert themselves unnecessarily. It's definitely something I know you said in the in the Maryland Eastern Shore game. I had noticed that too. I I was I was on in control of the Testudo Times Twitter account at that point, saying that Trimble and Suleiman had checked out for the game and then I used your stat on the broadcast. I was shocked when they came back in. I'm like, really? Yeah, exactly. And then I was like, Oh, guess not. I guess Turgeon's putting them in. I don't really get the point of that, but uh Getting getting in control in the first half and then, you know, only, you know, limiting Trimble and Suleiman to playing, you know, to maybe the first 10 minutes of the second half is just, it's so important, especially just for an injury risk factor because Maryland's one guard away from being, you know, in bad shape. So the most rest time they can get from their stars, the better. 
And we've already seen some big injuries in college basketball just recently. I mean, this week, what, Kennedy, Meeks, Emil Jefferson, Naz Long all going down. And Maryland, with aside from Deion Wiley, has been pretty lucky. So you want to see that luck continue. I think that's it. Is there anything else that we missed? It feels like it's been a quiet week otherwise because of finals and whatnot. I feel like um, Ivan Bender deserves a mention. Can we just keep Oh, yes, we can. Bender? Yes, we can. Ivan Bender. I should I should have mentioned him before. I'm sorry. I think he deserves I love watching him play. Was it not wild that Turgeon played him in the first half of the UConn game? Yes, it was crazy, and it was awesome. It was I really, awesome. I really think you could see him getting more minutes over you know, the course of the rest of the season. I think you know, the first game that he played in, he showed some great uh, ability to rebound and to score, and you know, it was in garbage time. But there's certain things that he was doing that – you know, he just demonstrating his ability. I mean, like I said, just the way he was boxing guys out, the way he was attacking the basket, uh, he's looks like a great free throw shooter. And I think, you know, he could be another asset for, for Maryland. He's kind of a, you know, X factor for this team now. He's got talent. And, I love that little and one against UMES at the end of the game. Yeah. I'm surprised also that, uh, you know, Turchin didn't show him more in the Eastern Shore game because, from what it seems like, we've only seen some small stretches from him, but he may be capable of, of coming off the bench in real games and, and filling in you know, when necessary, when guys are in foul trouble or something like that. He's got some sort of offensive game. He's got incredible length. He's got size. It's, uh, you know, he had two, two uh, knee injuries in recent years, which is what I think uh, brought attention away from him and more on his younger brother, who's apparently incredible. But uh, if Evans, full, uh, you know, fully healthy, there's no reason to think that he couldn't be another another forward. I should mention uh, during the UMES game, Melo Trimble had three fouls. That was incredibly strange. Don't think you're going to see that again anytime soon. Mm, that was that was a fun little that was a fun <clears throat> observation from that game. Now, mm. did we miss anything else? I think the the game being in Baltimore on Saturday, you touched on it a little bit earlier, Matt. But you know, Turgeon said shortly after he was hired that he wanted to get back to having regular games up in Baltimore and it's a shame the, that the arena is a bit of a dump, but the arena. Yes, it is Not a bit best. of a dump, but um, you get to go and see that Matt. How excited are you to go to an arena that's oh, pretty, almost I've, 50 years old? Never mind. I've been at Royal farms. It's a time. It's yeah. a time. But, it's trapped in time. You mean, <laughs> but the, the important thing here is that, you know, Maryland basically stopped doing the BB and T classic. So they could do something, like this in Baltimore. Um, and the BB&T always, to me, seemed like you know, it didn't really give Maryland that much because you're playing a game 15 miles from your home arena against a team that you know Mar- seemed to always upset Maryland anyway. George Washington? Right. Um, there was a time when F the BB- game. There was a time when the BB&T Classic was an actual tournament. So you had two games on Saturday and then you had two games on Sunday and the winners from Saturday would face each other in a championship game. And there'd be a consolation game. And I think that had a lot more value because you're getting that experience of playing on consecutive days that you're going to need for conference and NCAA tournament stuff uh, in the future. Um, But once they eliminated that and just made it a one day event, I mean, I don't, I think having a game up in Baltimore is much more important because you have, a lot of Maryland fans up in that area who can now get to a game much easier than going all the way down to college park. And then just the, 
the exposure Maryland gets for the basketball recruiting talent in you know the Baltimore area is another important thing. I absolutely agree with that. Uh, anything else, Matt, that you want to bring up? I know this is the third time I've asked this question, but I'm a bit of a broken I'm a bit of a broken record because of finals, and I bet you are too. So no, no, I'm excited to see Maryland at uh, at Royal Farms. Also, I've been there. The, the Wizards played a preseason game last year, and the CAA tournament was there, so I was there for a bit. There's some real basketball people in Baltimore who are who are definitely missing missing Terrapin play up there. So it'll be cool. It'll be nice. It'll be a little break from Xfinity Center. Also, well, Xfinity Center is nice. Yeah, so. it's nice, but let's let's play in other arenas. Uh, that would be well. How many other arenas are there? I mean, we'll we'll play at uh, Verizon Center next year when they go to Georgetown, but there aren't really many other arenas in the DMV that they could play in. We'll see when whenever Baltimore gets attacked together to replace that arena. And especially after the football team play there, it's only logical that the basketball team follows suit. So it's a good podcast. Thank you for both being here. Uh, I thought this was going to be one of the shorter shows, but my clock is saying it's 40 minutes right now. So even the shorter shows are now getting up to 40 minutes. Good work, guys. So if you time your workouts to this podcast, I'm sorry that our schedule is so inconsistent and our times are so inconsistent too, but maybe you'll get more fit from these, uh, these shows now. I mean... I hope somebody listens to this podcast while they're working out. That would be cool. I'm told that people, you listen to podcasts when they work out. I wouldn't know that for multitude of reasons. Anyway, <laughs> Dave, uh, it's good to have you back on. Yep, glad to be here. Matt, good luck with finals and enjoy Royal Farms Arena again. Don't get as best as poisoning. I don't know, I'll try my best. And of course, guys, go Terps.